Book Nine of The Confessions by St. Augustine, translated by E. B. Pusey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Marianne. Book Nine, Chapter Nine. Brought up thus modestly and soberly, and made subject rather by thee to her parents than by her parents to thee, so soon as she was of marriageable age, being bestowed upon a husband, she served him as her lord, and did her diligence to win him unto thee, preaching thee unto him by her conversation, and by which thou ornamentest her, making her reverently amiable and admirable unto her husband. And she so endured the wronging of her bed, as never to have any quarrel with her husband thereon. For she looked for thy mercy upon him, that believing in thee he might be made chaste. But besides this, he was fervid, as in his affections, so in anger. But she had learnt not to resist an angry husband, not in deed only, but not even in word. Only when he was smoothed and tranquil, and in a temper to receive it, she would give an account of her actions, if haply he had over-hastily taken offence. In a word, while many matrons, who had milder husbands, yet bore even in their faces marks of shame, would in familiar talk blame their husbands' lives, she would blame their tongues, giving them, as in jest, earnest advice, that from the time they heard the marriage writings read to them, they should account them as indentures, whereby they were made servants, and also, remembering their condition, ought not to set themselves up against their lords. And they, knowing what a choleric husband she endured, marveled that it had never been heard, nor by any token perceived, that Patricius had beaten his wife, or that there had been any domestic difference between them, even for one day, and confidentially asking the reason, she taught them her practice above mentioned. Those wives who observed it found the good and returned thanks. Those who observed it not found no relief and suffered. Her mother-in-law also, at first by whisperings of evil servants incensed against her, she so overcame by observance and persevering endurance and meekness that she of her own accord discovered to her son the meddling tongues whereby the domestic peace betwixt her and her daughter-in-law had been disturbed, asking him to correct them. Then, when in compliance with his mother, and for the well-ordering of the family, and the harmony of its members, he had with stripes corrected those discovered, at her will who had discovered them, she promised the like reward to any who, to please her, should speak ill of her daughter-in-law to her, and, none now venturing, they lived together with a remarkable sweetness of mutual kindness. This great gift also thou bestowest, O my God, my mercy, upon that good handmaid of thine, in whose womb thou createst me, that between any disagreeing and discordant parties where she was able, she showed herself such a peacemaker, that hearing on both sides most bitter things, such as swelling and ingested choler used to break out into, when the credulities of enmities are breathed out in sour discourses, to a present friend against an absent enemy, she never would disclose aught of the one unto the other, but what might tend to their reconcilement. A small good this might appear to me, did I not to my grief know numberless people, who through some horrible and widespreading contagion of sin, not only disclose to persons mutually angered things said in anger, but add withal things never spoken, whereas to humane humanity it ought to seem a light thing, not to foment or increase ill-will by ill-words, unless one study withal by good words to quench it. Such was she, thyself, her most inward instructor, teaching her in the school of the heart. 
Finally, her own husband, towards the very end of his earthly life, did she gain unto thee, nor had she to complain of that in him as a believer, which before he was a believer she had borne from him. She was also the servant of thy servants, whosoever of them knew her, did in her much praise and honor and love thee, for that through the witness of the fruits of a holy conversation they perceived thy presence in her heart. For she had been the wife of one man, had requited her parents, had governed her house piously, was well reported of for good works, had brought up children, so often travailing in birth of them, as she saw them swerving from thee. Lastly, of all of us thy servants, O Lord, whom on occasion of thine own gift thou sufferest to speak, us, who before her sleeping in thee lived united together, having received the grace of thy baptism, did so take care of as though she had been mother of us all, so served us as though she had been a child to us all. Chapter 10 the day now approaching whereon she was to depart this life, which day thou well knewest, we knew not, it came to pass, thyself, as I believe, by thy secret way so ordering it, that she and I stood alone, leaning on a certain window, which looked into the garden of the house where we now lay at Ostia. Were removed from the din of men, we were recruiting from the fatigues of a long journey for the voyage. We were discoursing then together, alone, very sweetly, and forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, we were inquiring between ourselves in the presence of thy truth, which thou art, of what sort the eternal life of the saints was to be, which I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath it entered into the heart of man. But yet we gasped with the mouth of our heart, after those heavenly streams of thy fountain, the fountain of life, which is with thee." that being bedewed thence, according to our captivity, we might in some sort meditate upon so high a mystery. And when our discourse was brought to that point, that very highest delight of the earthly senses, in the very purest material light, was, in respect of the sweetness of that life, not only worthy of comparison, but not even of mention, we, raising up ourselves with a more glowing affection towards the self-same, did by degrees pass through all things bodily, even the very heaven, whence sun and moon and stars shine upon the earth. Yea, we were soaring higher yet, by inward musing and discourse and admiring of thy works. And we came to our own minds and went beyond them, that we might arrive at that region of never-failing plenty, where thou feedest Israel for ever with the food of truth, and where life is the wisdom by whom all these things are made, and what have been and what shall be, and she is not made, but is, as she hath been, and so shall she ever be. Yea, rather, to have been, and hereafter to be, are not in her, but only to be, seeing she is eternal. For to have been, and to be hereafter, are not eternal. And while we were discoursing and panting after her, we slightly touched on her with the whole effect of our heart, and we sighed, and there we leave bound the first fruits of the Spirit and returned to vocal expressions of our mouth, where the word spoken has beginning and end. And what is like unto thy word, O Lord, who endureth in himself without becoming old, and maketh all things new? We were saying then, if to any the tumult of the flesh were hushed, hushed the images of the earth and waters and air, hushed also the poles of heaven, yea, the very soul be hushed to herself, and by not thinking on self surmount self, hushed all dreams and imaginary revelations, 
every tongue and every sign, and whatsoever exists only in transition, since if any could hear, all these say, We made not ourselves, but he made us that abideth for ever. If then, having uttered this, they too should be hushed, having roused only our ears to him who made them, and he alone speak, not by them, but by himself, that we may hear his word, not through any tongue of flesh, nor angel's voice, nor sound of thunder, nor in the dark riddle of a similitude, but might hear whom in these things we love, might hear his very self without these, as we too now strained ourselves, and in swift thought touched on that eternal wisdom which abideth over all. Could this be continued on, and other visions of kind far unlike be withdrawn, and this one ravish and absorb and wrap up its beholder amid those inward joys, so that life might be for ever that one moment of understanding which now we sighed after, were not this, enter into thy master's joy. And when shall that be? When we shall all rise again, though we shall not all be changed. Such things was I speaking, and even if not in this very manner and these same words, yet, Lord, thou knowest, that in that day when we were speaking of these things, and this world with all its delights became, as we spake, contemptible to us, my mother said, Son, for mine own part I have no further delight in anything in this life. What I do here any longer, and to what end I am here, I know not, now that my hopes in this world are accomplished. One thing there was, for which I desired to linger for a while in this life, that I might see thee a Catholic Christian before I died. My God hath done this for me more abundantly, that I should now see thee withal, despising earthly happiness, become his servant. What do I hear? Chapter 11 what answer I made her unto these things I remember not, for scarce five days after, or not much more, she fell sick of a fever, and in that sickness one day she fell into a swoon, and was for a while withdrawn from these visible things. We hastened round her, but she was soon brought back to her senses, and looking on me and my brother standing by her, said to us inquiringly, Where was I? And then looking fixedly on us, with grief amazed, Here, saith she, shall you bury your mother? I held my peace and refrained weeping, but my brother spake something, wishing for her, as the happier lot, that she might die not in a strange place but in her own land, whereat she with anxious look checked him with her eyes, for that he still savoured such things, and then looking upon me, Behold, saith she, what he saith, and soon after to us both, Lay, saith she, this body anywhere, let not the care for that any way disquiet you. This only I request, that you would remember me at the Lord's altar, wherever you be. And having delivered this sentiment, in what words she could, she held her peace, being exercised by her growing sickness. But I, considering thy gifts, thou unseen God, which thou instillest into the hearts of thy faithful ones, whence wondrous fruits do spring, did rejoice and give thanks to thee, recalling what I before knew, how careful and anxious she had ever been as to her place of burial, which she had provided and prepared for herself by the body of her husband. For because they had lived in great harmony together, she also wished, so little can the human mind embrace things divine, to have this addition to that happiness, and to have it remembered among men, that after her pilgrimage beyond the seas, what was earthly of this united pair had been permitted to be united beneath the same earth. 
But when this emptiness had through the fullness of thy goodness begun to cease in her heart, I knew not, and rejoiced admiring that she had so disclosed to me, though indeed in that our discourse also in the window, when she had said, What do I hear any longer? There appeared no desire of dying in her own country. I heard afterwards also that when we were now at Ostia, she with a mother's confidence, when I was absent, one day discoursed with certain of my friends about the contempt of this life and the blessing of death. And when they were amazed at such courage which thou hast given to a woman, and asked whither she were not afraid to leave her body so far from her own city, she replied, Nothing is far to God, nor was it to be feared lest at the end of the world he should not recognize whence he were to raise me up. On the ninth day then of her sickness, and the fifty-sixth year of her age, and the three-and-thirtieth of mine, was that religious and holy soul freed from the body. Chapter 12 I closed her eyes, and there flowed withal a mighty sorrow into my heart, which was overflowing into tears. Mine eyes at the same time, by the violent command of my mind, drank up their fountain wholly dry, and woe was me in such a strife. But when she breathed her last, the boy, Adiodatus, burst out into a loud lament, then, checked by us all, held his peace. In like manner also a childish feeling in me, which was, through my heart's youthful voice, finding its vent in weeping, was checked and silenced. For we thought it not fitting to solemnize that funeral with tearful lament and groanings, for thereby do they, for the most part, express grief for the departed, as though unhappy or altogether dead, whereas she was neither unhappy in her death nor altogether dead. Of this we were assured on good grounds, the testimony of her good conversation and her faith unfeigned. What then was it which did grievously pain me within, but a fresh wound wrought through the sudden wrench of that most sweet and dear custom of living together? I joyed indeed in her testimony, when, in that her last sickness, Mingling her endearments with my acts of duty, she called me dutiful, and unmentioned, with great affection of love, that she never had heard any harsh or reproachful sound uttered by my mouth against her. But yet, O oh my God, who madest us, what comparison is there betwixt that honor that I paid to her and her slavery for me? But then forsaken of so great comfort in her, my soul was wounded, and that life rent asunder, as it were, which of hers and mine together had been made but one. The boy, then being stilled from weeping, Euodius took up the psalter and began to sing, our whole house answering him, the psalm, I will sing of mercy and judgment to thee, O Lord. But hearing what we were doing, many brethren and religious women came together, and whilst they, whose office it was, made ready for the burial, as the manner is, I, in that part of the house where I might properly together with those who thought not fit to leave me, discoursed upon something fitting the time, and by this balm of truth assuaged that torment, known to thee, they unknowing and listening intently, and conceiving me to be without all sense of sorrow. But in thine ears were none of them heard. I blamed the weakness of my feelings, and refrained my flood of grief, which gave way a little unto me, but again came as with a tide, yet not so as to burst out into tears, nor to a change of countenance. Still I knew, keeping down my heart, and being very much displeased that these human things had such power over me, which in the due order and appointment of our natural condition must needs come to pass, 
With a new grief I grieved for my grief, and was thus worn by a double sorrow. And behold, the corpse was carried to the burial. We went and returned without tears, for neither in those prayers which we poured forth unto thee, when the sacrifice of our ransom was offered for her, when now the corpse was by the grave's side, as the manner there is, previous to its being laid therein, did I weep even during those prayers. Yet was I the whole day in secret heavily sad, and with troubled mind prayed thee, as I could, to heal my sorrow, yet thou didst not, impressing, I believe, upon my memory by this one instance, how strong is the bond of all habit, even upon a soul which now feeds upon no deceiving word. It seemed also good to me to go and bathe, having heard that the bath had its name, Valneum, from the Greek, Bathiaphor, for that it drives sadness from the mind. And this also I confess unto thy mercy, Father of the fatherless, that I bathed and was the same as before I bathed, for the bitterness of sorrow could not exude out of my heart. Then I slept, and woke up again, and found my grief not a little softened. And as I was alone in my bed, I remembered those true verses of thy Ambrose, for thou art the maker of all the Lord, and ruler of the height, who, robbing day in light, hast poured soft slumbers o'er the night, that to our limbs the power of toil may be renewed, and hearts be raised that sink and cower, and sorrows be subdued. And then, little by little, I recovered my former thoughts of thy handmaid, her holy conversation towards thee, her holy tenderness and observance towards us, whereof I was suddenly deprived, and I was minded to weep in thy sight, for her and for myself, in her behalf and in mine own. And I gave way to the tears which I before restrained, to overflow as much as they desired, reposing my heart upon them, and found rest in them, for it was in thy ears, not in those of man, who would have scornfully interpreted my weeping. And now, Lord, in writing I confess it unto thee. Read it who will, and interpret it how he will, and if he finds sin therein, that I wept my mother for a small portion of an hour, the mother who for the time was dead to mine eyes, who had for many years wept for me, that I might live in thine eyes, let him not deride me, but rather, if he be one of large charity, let him weep himself for my sins unto thee, the father of all the brethren of thy Christ. Chapter 13 But now, with a heart cured of that wound, wherein it might seem blameworthy for an earthly feeling, I pour out unto thee, our God, in behalf of that thy handmaid, a far different kind of tears, flowing from a spirit shaken by the thoughts of the dangers of every soul that dieth in Adam. And although she, having been quickened in Christ, even before her release from the flesh, had lived to the praise of thy name for her faith and conversation, yet dare I not say, that from what time thou regeneratest her by baptism, no word issued from her mouth against thy commandment. Thy son, the truth, hath said, Whoever shall say unto his brother, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell-fire. And woe be even unto the commendable life of men, if, laying aside mercy, they shouldest examine it. But because thou art not extreme in inquiring after sins, we confidently hope to find some place with thee. But whosoever reckons up his real merits to thee, what reckons he up to thee but thine own gifts? O oh, that men would know themselves to be men, and that he that glorieth would glory in the Lord. I therefore, O oh, my praise and my life, 
God of my heart, laying aside for a while her good deeds, for which I give thanks to thee with joy, do now beseech thee for the sins of my mother. Hearken unto me, I entreat thee, by the medicine of our wounds, who hung upon the tree, and now sitting at thy right hand maketh intercession to thee for us. I know that she dealt mercifully, and from her heart forgave her debtors their debts. Do they also forgive her debts, whatever she may have contracted in so many years, since the water of salvation? Forgive her, Lord, forgive, I beseech thee, enter not into judgment with her. Let thy mercy be exalted above thy justice, since thy words are true, and thou hast promised mercy unto the merciful, which thou gavest them to be, who wilt have mercy upon whom thou wilt have mercy, and wilt have compassion on whom thou hast compassion. And, I believe, thou hast already done what I ask. But accept, O Lord, the freewill offerings of my mouth. For she, the day of her dissolution now at hand, took no thought to have her body sumptuously wound up, or embalmed with spices, nor desired she a choice monument, or to be buried in her own land. These things she enjoined us not, but desired only to have her name commemorated at thy altar, which she had served without intermission of one day, whence she knew that holy sacrifice to be dispensed, by which the handwriting that was against us is blotted out, through which the enemy was triumphed over, who summing up our offenses and seeking what lay to our charge found nothing in him, in whom we conquer. Who shall restore to him the innocent blood? Who repay him the price wherewith he bought us, and so take us from him? Unto the sacrament of which our ransom, thy handmaid bound her soul by the bond of faith. Let none sever her from thy protection. Let neither the lion nor the dragon impose himself by force or fraud. For she will not answer that she owes nothing, lest she be convicted and seized by the crafty accuser, but she will answer that her sins are forgiven her by him to whom none can repay that price which he, who owed nothing, paid for us. May she then rest in peace with the husband, before and after whom she had never any, whom she obeyed, with patience bringing forth fruit unto thee, that she might win him also unto thee. And inspire, O Lord my God, inspire thy servants my brethren, thy sons my masters, whom with voice and heart I pen serve, so many as shall read these confessions. May at thy altar remember Monica, thy handmaid, with Patricius, her sometimes husband, by whose bodies thou broughtest me into this life, how I know not. May they, with devout affection, remember my parents in this transitory light, my brethren under thee our father in the Catholic mother, and my fellow citizens in that eternal Jerusalem, which thy pilgrim people sigheth after from their exodus, even unto their return thither that so my mother's last request of me may through my confessions, more than through my prayers, be, through the prayers of many, more abundantly fulfilled in her. End of Book Nine